I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Jonathan Koo, Chief Creative Officer of McKinney. McKinney is a creative agency located in Durham, North Carolina, with offices in New York City. It's also a sister company to Atomic. Today on the show, Jonathan and I delve into the deep, dark world of creativity and what it looks like. And what are creative people, what are they like? What do they have to overcome these days, especially in the world of advertising? We end on some interesting thoughts around what this industry does to our personal lives as fathers and where the future might take us. I hope you enjoy. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. Yeah, this is kind of odd. We're in different rooms, but in the same building. Yes, I actually like the disconnectedness of this, <laughs> so I don't have to look at you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's mutual. That's mutual. <laughs> so I want to do a little experimentation here. I, I love asking people about themselves, but we're going to start off with it this time. And I have this question I love to ask, which is, you know, what experience of your past defines or makes up who you are today? Well, that's an interesting question. I think every experience I've had has a bearing on who I am today. <laughs> but I think there's probably some seminal things that have affected me sort of generally. One was 
where I was born and raised, which was in Washington, D.C. I was born in Washington. I grew up mostly in Arlington, Virginia. And my dad was an architect and my mom was an English teacher. So, of course, we're all just products of our family of origin in many respects, for better or worse, in my case, mostly for the better. And I think growing up in a large metropolitan area probably had an effect, and in Washington in particular, on my sort of outlook and perspective on the world. And then I went pretty far away to college. I went to the University of Texas, and I think that was definitely a formidable formidable and formative experience. The first time I'd ever really been away from home. And so Texas was like the ad slogan says, a whole other country. <laughs> and it was really a shock. It was really a shock. And going to Texas, I think, was one of the biggest influences in my life because it really shaped me because it was a shock to the system. And, this, and I mean that in the sense of it was a good sort of indicator of what the broader world was going to be like because I went to Texas not knowing a single person. When I got there, I realized that no one cared that I was there. <laughs> no one was there <laughs> welcoming me with open arms. And I think that's kind of a little bit of the real world as well. And the other thing I think that's had a, a big influence on me is the fact that I was a, an athlete when I was in high school and college. And I, I ran cross country and track. And I think sort of the mentality of an athlete and an endurance athlete in particular has probably had an effect. You know, there's just been many, many moments. But I think my post-college years were really frustrating and difficult. And I think that has had a big effect on my career as well. Well, and so an architect and an English teacher. Mm -hmm. That's why you correct my grammar all the time. <laughs> I was raised by a woman who would not hesitate in the middle of the most emotional sort of story or moment to stop you and correct your grammar, which was alternately infuriating but informative. So it's just a really bad habit that I've hung on to, but yeah. I'm sensing a life of torture and, and just pain. Yeah, it might appear that way, but it was actually a life of, by today's childhood standards, a life of complete and utter lack of boundaries <laughs> of any kind <laughs> and not a lot of rules. So, you know, that also had an effect, would have come to have an effect later, not always for the positive, but it was a really, you know, Growing up in the 70s and 80s was obviously a lot different than the world that we live in today. No, very true. Very true. Used to be able to go out in the woods and not worry about who was in the woods. I used to go out in the woods and not tell anybody you were in the woods for hours. Yeah. And no one asked. <laughs> exactly. Well, interesting. Interesting. I love the background, the athlete, the Texas, the raised by architect and English teacher. It's yeah. pretty interesting. It, nice mix to become who you are today. And yeah. It made perfect sense. After the fact, I was like, well, yeah, of course. Of course, that would advertising would be where I'd end up. What fuels you today? What, what keeps, what drives you? I mean, I think the same things that drive everybody, money, fame, and power, and glory. <laughs> Love it. I don't know. You know, what drives me, I think there's different things from different perspectives. You know, I mean, on the most fundamental level, I, the thing that drives me is taking care of my family. And being a good husband and father probably are the most central. And then what drives me professionally, you know, I think the same things that drive a lot of people who want to be successful, doing a good job, creating something of value in the world, being good at, at my chosen profession. And 
I think, yes, of course, being successful on a financial level as well. Well, you're your chief creative officer at McKinney mm-hmm. today, but I want to go way back. Do you remember the first brief that you worked on? Well, I don't know if I remember the first brief, but I remember one of the first things I ever did. I started my advertising career in a very sort of uh, inauspicious way. I was the first and maybe only male secretary at an agency in Atlanta, which was then (laughs) called Tucker Wayne Lucky. And Tucker Wayne Lucky at that time was, it was about as as close as you could get to working in the insurance industry and still be in advertising. (laughs) Very conservative, very financially successful, but Southern and traditional. The big account that Tucker Wayne had for 51 years was Bell South. And Bell South was actually an account that we lost while I was there. But the first thing I worked on as a wannabe copywriter, because I'd gotten a chance to work on this brief while I was answering telephones, people actually still had people who answered phones for them back then, was a brief for or was an assignment for Bell South. And it was for the Bell South Yellow Pages. And well, before you go too much further, for the millennials out there, Yellow Pages are, is a yellow book that has a list of phone numbers in it. Correct. It's, it's, business phone numbers. That was business the phone numbers. Yellow Pages was That's where right. the business phone numbers were and the white pages were, were residences. That's so right. We actually did ads for the Yellow Pages. And so the agency had brought in a freelancer from New York to work on this thing. And for whatever reason, I don't know, he asked me to help him on it. And it was just kind of a very interesting, odd thing. And he was kind of an interesting, odd guy. His name was Ron Burkhart. And he had an agency in New York called Burkhart and Christie, I think. And I worked with Ron on this campaign. And the idea for the campaign was that Dixie Carter, and I don't know if you know who Dixie Carter is. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Designing women fame from the 1990s. Exactly who in real life was married to Hal Holbrook. So the campaign was that Dixie Carter was going to use the Bell South Yellow Pages to help find contractors and service people to help her build a lake house in Tennessee. And so as part of the deal, Bell South actually did build a lake house on a lake in Tennessee for Dixie Carter and Hal Holbrook. And we (laughs) wrote these scripts, and it was kind of this... (laughs) I don't know, kind of this amazing experience, first thing that I did in advertising. But I think that working on something like that, which was relatively a big project, probably skewed my perspective. It wasn't like I worked on a brochure, you know, I I got to work on something that was relatively big and kind of high profile. But I did leave the agency eventually, but I didn't go to another agency. I decided to go to ad school, to portfolio school. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. I felt like I needed to, if I didn't do that, I was going to be making very incremental moves. And so I decided, you know, I need to try to make a bigger jump. So I went to portfolio school and from portfolio school, I went to Widening Kennedy. Well, did you get to meet Dixie and Hal? Oh, yeah. Were they as much a character in person as they are on TV? Yes, kind of exactly what you'd expect, but, you know, very gracious and very nice. And yeah, really, I mean, Dixie Carter is sort of the epitome of a, what is referred to in the South as a steel magnolia, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, a very strong, opinionated Southern woman. Yeah, that's her. Yeah, that's her. How do you approach a creative challenge as chief creative officer? And I know you've got a team. (laughs) I I delegate. (laughs) 
Of course you do. Of course you do. If you could remember, like, how do you coach maybe other people to approach a creative challenge? Well, there's no singular answer for this because there's a lot of there's a lot that goes into a question like that. You know, one of the things that I have developed over time is a perspective on advertising and marketing as it relates to actual human beings. And one of the tenets of that, that is also a McKinney principle, is that people care more about themselves than they care about brands. So I'm always trying to make sure that whatever we're doing for a brand or with an idea connects back to something that people actually care about. Because no one inherently cares about, for the most part, brands or products. They care about themselves and they want to know, maybe, or you have to show them how your products or goods or services are relevant or can be relevant and meaningful in their lives. So that's kind of how I approach problem solving in advertising. Right. Would you call that your philosophy? Yeah, I guess that's fair to say. I mean, I think it's just, for me, it's a kind of a human truth. I think we can make our business and the challenges in our business like very complicated. And so one of the things that I try to do is to uncomplicate and simplify the task at hand. And that's really where that philosophy comes from. There's only a finite number of things that people care about. And so if you look at Maslow's you know, hierarchy of needs, it's not an infinite. It's not every molecule in the ocean. There's you know, more or less, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 things that people really care about. And you know, they're kind of categories of things. If your brand or your product or your service isn't attaching to one of those things that people care about, in a meaningful and relevant way, then it's not going to be meaningful and relevant in and of itself. Right. I guess that's the nature of the challenge is, is tapping into what people really want mm -hmm. and making it simple so it's easy to understand. Yeah, I think it's what do people really want? It's not about what you do. Okay, what you do is what you do, and it's important, obviously, for clients and brands and all the people that work there. But people out in the world aren't thinking about your brand or your product for the most part. You know, there's some very high interest categories where you could argue otherwise. But for the most part, people are out in the world living their lives and they have their own hopes and dreams and desires and wants and needs. And you have to understand those things and figure out, and this is the challenge of our business, how to connect what you do or provide to those wants and dreams and desires and hopes. We're talking a lot about solving for creative challenges. What does the word creative or, or creativity mean to you? How would you define something like that? Well, I kind of separate them. I mean, creative as it, as it applies to our industry, to me, is a mechanism or a tool, a very, very powerful tool. I would argue maybe the most powerful way of helping to draw engagement and interest in the messaging that we're doing. The reason I say that is because we mostly have to say a lot of similar things to competitors. And what I mean by that is most consumers are drawn to a category before they're drawn to a brand. And they're drawn to the category for all of the same reasons. And so to get people's attention within a category, we can't be off in left field 
sort of unrelated to the category. We need to have messaging that's category relevant, but to get people engaged and to get their attention and to get them to focus on us, we need to be very creative in how we do that. And that's why creativity in my mind, and I'm biased, of course, I'm the chief creative officer, is probably the single greatest differentiator in advertising and marketing because most products are not truly differentiated. Now, they may be differentiated for a month, they may be differentiated for six months, but at some point, those product differentiators or attributes or USPs, as we used to call them in the old days, go away. So, Creativity and the way we provide our messaging or surround our messaging is really the thing that can draw people to a brand, irrespective of the product features and attributes itself, if that makes sense. It does. Where do these creative ideas come from? They come from outer space. They <laughs> come from a very small, there's a particular planet, actually. <laughs> no, I think, that, I mean, this is one of the great mysteries of life. It's like, where does music come from? Oh, no one knows. I mean, again, it goes back to, you know, we're using creativity as a means to an end in advertising. So it, you kind of put it in a frame or a, in terms of, you know, solving a problem. But creativity in and of itself is a mystery. I mean, it's the brain's synapses firing in unusual and unexpected ways. But, but what I will say is that when people think up new ideas or things that have never been done before, to me, it's usually a recombination of things that already exist. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So what I mean by that is if you think of something like fire, fire was invented with a stick and a rock. Well, so fire was a recombination of those two things. Mm -hmm. So when we create things, they're usually interesting combinations of ideas or elements that have previously existed, but maybe not been put together in that way. It's like there's only so many notes. And so it's how the notes are put together that makes the music. And you would think you'd run out of combinations of that, but apparently not. So that's kind of what creativity is. Creativity is such a broad sort of topic or idea it manifests itself in so many different ways in our lives beyond like what most people think of when they hear creativity they don't think of engineering or science or those kind of things they might think of painting or music but creativity mm -hmm. has just as big of a place in science and math and engineering as it does in in the arts i have a follow-up question you've been in a 
a couple of different places, actually a few different places in your career. Was there anybody that stood out as somebody you're like, wow, that person, male or female, they really just produced some amazing ideas. And I'm just curious if there's anybody like that that sticks out in your mind. And, and then what was it about them? You know, what was it? Well, there have been very, very many, actually, from when I first started and many people at Widening Kennedy and many people here at McKinney. I think there's some characteristics of people mm-hmm. who, the ones who've been successful. One is somewhat of a fearlessness. And by that, I mean, I'm not saying they're able to jump off of buildings without being scared. But, you know, in the creative part of this business, it can be difficult to expose your ideas to other people. And in order to be successful, you have to connect with your, you know, what's inside of you. And you have to pull that out and you have to put it on a table and then you have to listen to people criticize it. And that's challenging. That can be hard for a lot of people. And so in my mind, that's what creative people in advertising and marketing get paid for. It's not the being creative part, although I do believe that the creative people in our industry are artists. We don't so much get paid for the artistry as we do for the ability to withstand the critiquing and the pulling apart of our babies. (laughs) (laughs) So one would be fearlessness. The other would be and I've actually written about this, resiliency. To me, being resilient as a creative in advertising is probably the single greatest determining factor on whether or not a person's going to be successful. Every successful and great creative that I have known has been somebody who is resilient. Now, that doesn't mean they don't moan and kick and scream and stomp and cuss, but what it means is they don't ever give up. And I believe it can be a learned behavior, but it it is a challenging one. But everyone I've known, because I've known some very talented people who weren't able to be resilient. And so the talent is, is kind of a table stakes, but being resilient is the thing that's going to give your career longevity. I like that. Well, I have to ask this question. It may be the most dreaded one on the page for you, but we're in an era of technology and data. Where does data and information fit into the creative process? Nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) That is a dreaded question. Information is helpful and data Mm -hmm. is information. I always want to have information. I want to know who we're trying to connect with. I want to know what they care about. I want to know all about the product we have. I want to know as much as I can. I want to know as much as I can about everything. And then I kind of want to forget all of that, push it to my subconscious and try to think creatively. So I am a big fan of information. Data is a four-letter word. It's been given a bad rap, but it is information. And to me, data is what we do can be so overthought and so overwrought. And I think the explosion of metrics and data has played a role in making things overthought. But I see places where data has and can play powerful roles in helping us really, at least in my perspective, connect powerfully with people in the right places, in the right ways, at the right times. And not that we couldn't do that before, but now we're able to get very, very specific and almost just to a scary level. So I'm a fan of information. 
I think it can help us and I think it does help us. But I think data is, to me, a subset of information. And it's all part of knowing what tools you have at your disposal and how to pull the levers, I'd say. Good, good. I appreciate it. I mean, I think it's been an interesting trip down like the creativity process (laughs) (laughs) mind of a chief creative officer. I want to step back a little bit. And one thing about the two of us is we both have daughters. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, has your work influenced how you are as a father? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yes, it has. It has. It's not always for the better. I mean, I think it has put a strain on my family at times. It's caused me to probably not be as present as I would have wanted to be at times. It's also caused me to my older daughter has stated unequivocally she would never want to go into advertising. <laughs> so it's had that effect. I don't know that it's really had an effect on... I'll tell you one of the things that's had an effect on my career about having children is that it's one of the reasons that I've stayed at McKinney for so long is that I didn't want to move my children around mm-hmm. and or move away from my children. So having children has affected my career. I don't know that much how my career has had an effect on my role as a father. In some ways, I said it's taken me away from my family, and it has, but it's also provided some flexibility at times that's been really important and valuable. And I think, too, it's one of the good things is, although my children have seen some of the downsides of advertising, they've also seen some of the upsides of it in terms of, okay, there's professions in the world, there's jobs out there where people can make money doing things that they like doing. Like it, jobs, you know, when someone sees their parents come home, yes, sometimes I come home frustrated and, and angry and tired, but for the most part, I'm coming home from something that I really like doing with people that I really like. And so I think that's been an, an important thing for them to see. Uh, that's a good lesson. I just imagined you creating jingles to get the chores done around. The house. <laughs> <laughs> that does happen. I mean, that does happen too. Well, um, last couple of questions for you. As you think about brands or, or companies or, or causes, what's attractive to you these days? What are you following? What do you think is interesting? You know, it's hard for me to follow anything very deeply. And I think that's one of the challenges of our age. I come from a background of being an athlete, so I've always been interested in sports. So I follow a lot of sports brands and teams, both in media and culture and broadly. It's really hard for me to go in depth. I mean, I'm paying attention to a lot of things, Mm -hmm. but I find it hard to pay attention to much in a very deep way. I think it's a factor of our culture and the fragmentation of our media landscape. Mm -hmm. When I was 22 years old, I actually wrote a letter to a guy who worked at CBS, who was head of programming at CBS. We're close to being the head of programming. He's a fairly well-known guy named Peter Tortorici. And I took the network primetime viewing (laughs) calendar and I said, I wrote in this letter to Peter, here's what I think you need to do at CBS to be more competitive. Out of the blue. (laughs) And I created this programming schedule and he called me. Wow. He called you. His assistant called me at my parents' house. He wanted to talk to me and I was in shock. And long story short, I never talked to Peter Tortorici. <laughs> but where I was going with that is it's such a different world. Like I literally yeah. had at that stage of my life, the entire primetime network lineup memorized. 
<laughs> there was three channels plus PBS and an independent channel. And I could tell you what was going to be on television at any time all week long during prime time from memory. And wow. the world we live in now is just, it's like I'm talking about when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. <laughs> what am I following? I'm following everything. <laughs> what am I interested in? Everything. Right. What's important? Not everything, but maybe more than you would think. And that's part of our problem. And that's part of our challenge is to sort of figure out, like cut out all the noise, separate the wheat from the chaff and kind of figure out what's important and meaningful and relevant. And that's the challenge for brands. It's like, wow, how do you break through? How do you cut through? There's, you know, that old Springsteen song, 57 channels and nothing on. It's like, no, <laughs> 570 channels, you know, and nothing on plus YouTube. So I'm challenged. I'm challenged by it. But I have things that I I sort of inherently am interested in. That's sort of like sports and music and fashion. And one of the things that's been great about being in advertising for me is that I kind of get to be in a bunch of different businesses. Like, I don't know that I ever would have been able to be in a quote unquote industry. Yes, I'm in the ad industry, but what being in the ad industry has allowed me to do is be in the healthcare industry or the retail industry or the, you know, fashion industry. It's like, because all of these clients of ours, you really have to understand their business and be a part of them to succeed. Last question for you. What do you think the future holds for marketing and advertising? Desperation and despair. <laughs> oh, I hope not. Let's see. No, I mean, my short answer is I don't know. But my educated guess is that we're going to be Continuing to go down a path of personalization and hyper-personalization in marketing and messaging. And I think that although it's scary to think about, I think artificial intelligence is going to be coming more quickly than we want to acknowledge. And I think voice-activated devices are going to be coming more quickly than we may be willing to acknowledge. So I think as those innovations become more prevalent, our marketing will will adapt. And I think it, there's probably going to become a time when no two ads will be alike because they will be targeted so specifically to an individual, which is kind of a weird thing to think about. It is, yeah. But I do think that that's a little bit of where we may be headed. Well, it's been a fun time, and I'll come high-five you here in a minute, but thank yeah. you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for putting me in a separate room and, <laughs> and treating me just like any other person who might be 3,000 miles away. Exactly. Marketing Today is brought to you by Atomic. Atomic focuses on unleashing the growth potential for clients we serve. Atomic is a strategic consultancy specializing in business, marketing, brand, and innovation. Our singular goal is to help you accelerate your efforts with the right mix of expertise, analysis, and creativity. Check us out at atomic.com. A-T-O-M-C-K dot com. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with project management by Sarah Williams, audio production by Aaron Campbell, writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. 
We love to hear from listeners at info at atomic, A-T-O-M-C-K dot com. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Marketing Today.